0: You're listening to A Conduit's Diary, a podcast featuring my diary entries as I investigate paranormal activity. This is rated explicit because I have a foul mouth and I'm kind of an asshole. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast so you can share the love. Now, let's get on to episode nine, Screams in the Night. Despite it being nearly a week into September, summer refused to let up. At least monsoon was trying. The last few weeks, we had smaller dust storms, some rain, but it paled in comparison to years before. Instead, we were left with a Labor Day weekend where temperatures topped 112 degrees and the air felt thick and heavy. It was exactly why I hated visiting family outside of Arizona the humidity. It created a layer of frizz to my stick-straight red hair that I couldn't get rid of. I love fall as much as the next person, but September has never screamed fall for me. October, maybe. November, absolutely. The trouble is when you don't have a whole lot of trees that are known to change colors, fall can slip into winter before you're really aware of it. I guess the start of football would be one telltale sign of the change of seasons, but sports were never my thing too uncoordinated. To me, fall started when the low temperatures dropped below 80. Things were opening back up in Arizona, for better or for worse. As I drove through the downtown Gilbert to meet with Hema and Monica, I passed bars that were overflowing with people, rarely wearing masks. I knew if I went a little further south, I'd pass the movie theater, open for the first time since March, Bustling with people wanting to escape the heat for the cool air-conditioning innards and overpriced food. Hema mentioned last week that she had tried to head up to Sedona to hike, where the weather was at least a little cooler and was met with waves of people. Everyone had the same idea. Escape the heat at all costs. I was heading south of Gilbert, deeper into the rural outskirts of the Phoenix metro area, to meet up with Hema and Monica to bless a house or something. The house was entirely benign. I'd walked through it the day before and noted absolutely zero spiritual activity. There was a faulty window pane and some evidence of leaking pipes that I knew we could fix on the down low to cure a lot of the owner's problems. As usual, I invented dramatic reasons for the haunting the toxic energy, the whatever. I'd already forgotten most of the details. They were blending together. A foster of mine had backed out last minute, leaving me with a pile of kittens that needed to be bottle-fed. I was tired and running ragged around the edges. Hema and Monica met me in front of the house, which boasted the cookie-cutter charm of most South Chandler-Gilbert area. While Gilbert had more luxury to its name, Chandler bordered it, and they were visibly indistinguishable from each other. Each subdivision had a specific style that turned the home's homogeneous. The neighborhood knocked off a tuscan vibe with adobe style finish torrents and wrought iron gates it was out of place compared to other homes in the area which was probably the appeal the homes were sprawling though and this particular home was a five bedroom four bathroom two-story with a basement owned by a couple with one eight-year-old kid the whole thing was so excessive i could barely keep my 700 square foot townhome clean I couldn't imagine trying to work that monster. I'd convinced the owners to take their kid out for the afternoon while I brought in some friends for spiritual work. I told them it was absolutely necessary that they weren't present so that the spirits wouldn't latch on to them as we got rid of them. Really, it gave Monica and I cover to repair the little issues the home had while Hema cleared the house of energy or whatever she did. I feel like I'm in the Italian country, joked Monica, shading her eyes from the sun as we took in the massive home. I laughed, shouldering a bag of random supplies I'd acquired over the years from my dad's shop. My dad may own an auto repair store, but he was handy and taught me to fix a lot of things myself growing up. A lot of these homes had issues that were obvious to someone with a little knowledge, and most of these rich types are used to outsourcing for this information. It was easy to understand why they'd think some banging and tapping at night would be a haunting, and not just faulty pipes or wires. "'I like it. It's different,' remarked Hema as we passed through the wrought iron gate and entered the front courtyard of the house. It had a small fountain that babbled pleasantly. With outdoor chairs, no one would be sitting in for at least another two months. I tapped on the keypad, entering the code they'd specified for me, and let the door swing open to reveal the inside.' Different, just like everyone else, remarked Monica. Inside the home looked like a Z-gallery setup. White walls, light hardwood floor, black and wood tone accents. There was no real accent color, just the monochrome of the bright, white, and dark streakless black. Even the kitchen floor was black and white subway tile, matching a similar black splash. We wandered the home for a minute, Hema and Monica admiring the aesthetic, Me, trying to remember the areas that needed improvement. That's one of the windows, I told Monica. Monica was also a pretty handy person. She was one of those naturally curious people who liked to take things apart just to see how they worked, then had the memory to put them back together without directions. Many a Christmas I'd seen her assemble a gift or a toy for a family member, while the others puzzled through the instructions. She'd watch me repair things once or twice before and picked up on it immediately. I don't remember when I started letting Hema come along with me to these homes. It felt like ages ago. It was purely accidental that she'd found out I had the skills that I did, but she never judged me for it. Others who found out over the years often drifted away, thinking I was crazy or a liar. Hema thought it was the most natural thing in the world to see ghosts and communicate with them. I still don't understand how it fit into her worldview. A strange mix of atheism, witchcraft, and plant magic, but for whatever reason. I fit right in. Monica and I went to work checking the windows, finding cracks that allowed wind to get in and make strange noises in the night when the wind blew. We also changed out a few air filters, which were absolutely disgusting, and helped to explain why some areas of the home just didn't get cold or warm like they were supposed to. There were other things easily fixed, like they hadn't cleaned the filter on their washing machine or dishwasher, allowing it to occasionally flood the entire kitchen. Why'd they never called a handyman for this shocked me? The owners thought that this was all truly a haunting. After an hour or two, we met back up with Hema, who was burning some sweet-smelling bundles in a room. Sage? I asked. She scoffed and shook her head. No, saging is a closed practice for indigenous people. These are a mix of herbs that Celtic families use to clean spaces. My mother taught me about it when I was younger. I didn't really see the difference, but I also don't know anything about plants other than how to kill them. That's why I call her in for these things. She was the expert. This is more about bringing in good energy than dispelling bad energy. A lot of misconceptions, really, she added. I shrugged, and Monica beamed at her like she was the best thing in the world. Is that it, then? Monica asked me. I nodded and gathered our things, heading for the door to leave. As we left, a car pulled into the driveway and out stepped the family. The woman, Marjorie or Melinda or something, had rings under her eyes like she hadn't slept a wink in years. Her daughter was holding the remains of an ice cream cone in her hand, looking like she was going to pass out any minute. The husband's mouth was a straight line as he eyed up the home and the group with me. "'Rachel,' said the mom, her voice flat. "'You have perfect timing,' I told her with a broad smile." I waved my hand over Hema and Monica. These are my associates, Hema and Monica. They helped me to clean the house. Would you like to walk through it? They regarded me with suspicion, but followed me into the house while Hema and Monica waited outside. I took them through each room, watching carefully as the heaviness of the woman's shoulder seemed to lessen as she walked through each one I couldn't argue with whatever Hema had done. All the rooms had a subtly sweet smell that was pleasant and charming. It felt bright and inviting, not that the house hadn't previously, but in a new way. By the end of the small tour, she was a different person, relaxed and calm. She led me back to the front door, pausing again as she eyed Hema and Monica. Thank you for your help, she said, moving a bit closer to Hema. And that's when it happened. Hema's head jerked back, her eyes unfocused, her gaze at the sky above. Her mouth dropped open, and from it came a loud, shrill, otherworldly scream. It lasted for at least three counts before her mouth shut and her head dropped, chin to chest. She started to sway before Monica reached out to grab her, steadying her. Hema was mumbling to herself, wild, nonsensical sentences. The mother looked horrified, her eyes wide and fixed on Hema as she swayed on her feet. Monica managed to lead her to their car, where she turned on the air and blew it directly at Hema. I'm so sorry, some hauntings take a lot out of her. I'll tend to her, please just let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. I gathered my things and scampered out of the courtyard, letting the gate bang shut behind me. In the car, Hema was coming to, blinking over and over again as her vision steadied. Her eyes were still unfocused, frazzled, but she was more aware of herself. What the hell was that? Monica screamed at me. I bit my lip, looking from her to Hema. Hema must not have told Monica how she found out about me and my gifts. She must not have told her why she was so sensitive to energies. Why she surrounded herself with plants. Why she avoided human medicine, despite coming from a line of doctors. Rachel, breathed Hema, her hand grasping mine. Hey, Hema, you're okay. You just... well... I trailed off, looking from her to Monica. Monica's face was replaced with annoyance, and she sat back, watching us. What's going on here? she asked. It's okay, Emma breathed, her eyes closing as she sunk back in the passenger seat chair. Let's just go back to our place. I'll tell you everything. 30 minutes later, we were sitting in the living room of what I like to call the Plant Palace. Hema and Monica lived in a small home with towering plants and odd, eclectic touches. Everything was natural lighting, open, airy. It reminded me of the scene in Harry Potter in the Deathly Hollows after Harry dies and meets Dumbledore in the train station. Everything was a little bit too bright and kind of disorienting, but with plants. I was glad I wasn't in the car with Monica and Hema on the way back. The tension between the two of them when we sat down around their kitchen table was thick. I'll make tea, said Hema. Monica shook her head sharply, holding up her hand to stop her from getting up. No, you'll explain what's going on. Both of you, she added, shooting me a similar death glare. I swallowed, folding my hands on the table in front of me. There's no easy way to say it, said Hema. Her eyes downcast. She took a deep breath, then looked up at me, frowning. I'm a banshee. She let the silence settle over the room, watching Monica's face go through a range of emotion shock, disbelief, humor. I'm sorry, you're a what? she asked, laughing. She stopped suddenly when she saw how serious Hema looked, how serious I looked. A banshee? she echoed, confused. A banshee, Hema confirmed. Monica looked to me. All I could do was shrug and offer an awkward smile. A banshee, I added, uselessly. Look, it's not like in the stories, Hema started. Well, obviously not, Monica responded. Hema chewed her lip, watching Monica through a long piece of her blonde bangs. It's usually something I can control, she told her. Well, maybe not control. I can tell if it's coming on. I'm not sure if I was tired or surprised or whatever. I haven't done that in a while. So this has happened before, Monica asked. Hema and I both nodded. And what, you just scream when someone is going to die? Hema and I exchanged looks again. Pretty much. Huh, Monica said, sitting back in her chair. She brought her thumb to her mouth to gnaw on, an old habit I hadn't seen her do in years. And you never thought to tell me, she asked, her eyes narrowing on Hema. Hema's face drained, then her cheeks burned red. It's not easy to bring up, she said. I found out the same way you did, I offered. Monica turned her gaze to me quickly, almost like she forgot I was there. We were at a club meeting when... "'Well, it it happened,' Hema nodded. "'It doesn't happen often,' Hema reiterated. "'It's just a weird quirk. A thing.' "'Being a banshee?' Monica asked, her voice raising with hysterics. "'Let me explain, okay? When I was 12, it happened for the first time. "'I was visiting my grandmother in the hospital. "'When I walked into the room, it happened. "'My family thought it was because I was so overwhelmed, saying, "'Grandmom's so sick.' She died the next day. I forgot about it until a few years later, when I was in high school. I wanted to be a doctor like my parents, so I went and volunteered at a hospital. I was so overwhelmed. The minute I walked in, my head was so light. I thought I was just afraid of blood or something, but I couldn't be anywhere near that place. I couldn't see. My vision went blurry. I could hear whispers, voices saying things like, that one is next, and... Tomorrow afternoon, it was awful. So I switched to biology, thinking I could be fine in a lab. I volunteered at one and I knew who was dead and alive. I can't explain it, but the samples would come in and I knew I could feel the energy. I'd always been really sensitive to those things, you know? I'm an empath, but apparently it's more than that. Apparently I can tell if someone's about to die, know if they're dead based off their items. I didn't connect the dots until she trailed off, looking at me. Anthony, I said quietly. Monica exhaled, but didn't speak. It was the day before. We were at lunch or dinner, I don't really remember. I just remember we were sitting around, eating, and then Hema showed up. She did what she did just now, like a trance. She screamed. It was eerie, none of us really knew what to say. I took her home, and the next day... I waved my hands. I'd heard of banshees from my mom. She claimed they existed much like incubi or any other mythical creature. I used my fingers to air quote around mythical creature, since Hema was very much not mythical and very much not a creature. Her mom knew right away, Hema said. Your mom? Monica asked, frowning. I nodded. She. she knows a lot more than she lets on, I offered. Monica closed her eyes and waved her hands, shaking her head. I'm sorry Rachel's mom knew before I did. To be fair, this was years before I met you, Hema started, then stopped when she saw the look Monica gave her. How do I even bring this up? Oh, by the way, love, you know how I'm sensitive to energies? You know how I hate the hospital? You know how I get very protective of my energy? It's because I'm a banshee, a harbinger of death. Sometimes I black out and scream and it means someone's about to die. She threw her hands up. "'So that family,' Monica said, her eyes suddenly wide. I nodded somberly. "'Yep.' "'Can't you stop it?' Monica asked. Hema shook her head. "'It never works out, and it's not that specific. "'It could be her, the kid, the dad,' she trailed off. "'It just means in the next 24 hours, "'someone in that family is gonna die. "'It's always someone near me, though,' I've heard others can reach out further, suss it out more. Others, Monica said flatly. My mom claims to have known one or two in her life. She said she knew one that was particularly powerful, could even give you time and cause of death. I'm weak, I guess, Hema said with a shrug. Other than that one time in the hospital, it's always just been screaming. Monica's disbelieving silence settled over the table, which I took as my cue to leave. I knew better than to involve myself in other people's drama, even if it was my best friend and her wife. I stood to leave. Well, I'll let you two talk this out, I announced awkwardly. Monica didn't look up at me as she said, yeah, bye, Rachel. Hema tossed me a terrified look that showed she'd rather me stay. I sent her an apologetic smile and left the plant palace for my own sad town home. Anthony greeted me shortly after I walked in. "'When are we getting rid of these kittens?' he asked, rubbing his eyes. The litter of kittens mewed endlessly, their calls reaching a fever pitch the closer I got. They seemed to sense Anthony but realized he was useless to help them, turning their attention to me immediately. I moved to the kitchen to start making up their food. Soon, I hope. I'm ready for peace and quiet again. Anthony followed me into the kitchen lazily, watching me. "'How's Hema?' he asked. She's okay. Monica found out about her being a banshee today. Anthony's eyes widened. This world, ghosts, banshees, magic, didn't really exist to him alive. I'd managed to keep my secret from him, though he would have accepted it. I was just too afraid he wouldn't. Now that he was dead, though, he knew it all. I told him everything, except the truth, I guess. I forgot about that, he said. I nodded, messing with the kitten food a bit longer than I needed. "'How did Monica take it?' he asked. I shrugged. Shocked. Angry. You know how they are. All truth, all the time. Honesty. I think Monica was hurt more than anything else. "'But she loves her, so she'll get over it,' he reasoned. I nodded, feeling my heart race in my chest. "'She will,' I agreed. "'Everything okay?' he asked me, after a beat of awkward silence.' "'Do you really think she'll forgive her?' I asked, turning to look at Anthony. He frowned. "'Of course, why not?' "'Would she forgive her no matter what, you think?' I pressed. His frown deepened. "'I don't know, that's a loaded question. Are we talking murder here?' He tried to joke, but saw my face and silenced himself. "'I'm just asking, sometimes, you know, people do awful things, selfish things even. Should they be forgiven?' I feel like this is a specific question, and I need better context. What did Hema do? I shook my head, looking away. What did you do? He asked instead, taking a step closer. I didn't look up, watching my feet in the kitchen, feeling the bile and anxiety rise in my throat. If I tell you, you'll never forgive me, I whispered. I'll be the judge of that, he said, crossing his arms over his chest. He was never one to coddle i knew he wouldn't try and drag it out of me if i didn't want to tell him he stood immobile across the kitchen i could feel his glare on me as i slowly raised my eyes to his goodbye i whispered goodbye he echoed then i told him everything a conduit's diary is created by me written and produced by me mixed horribly and edited by me cover art created by bmc design on fiverr music intro and outro created by chris hornberger